Welcome to the Two Tribes podcast, where each week we bring you the real stories of Australian founders and investors, the two tribes of entrepreneurship. If you like what you hear, give us a rating on iTunes or follow us at Two Tribes News on Twitter. This series of Two Tribes is supported by Tankstream Labs. Tankstream Labs is more than just a workspace for Australian founders, it's a place to work on your passion. TSL, like Two Tribes, brings real founders and investors together. On to today's podcast. I'm sitting here with Marcus Segal of Zynga, also Y Combinator, and shortly to be Google Launchpad Accelerator Program. Welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. So first question, Farmville or Words with Friends? What was your favorite? I think between the two of those games, I would say Words with Friends. I think Words with Friends is the kind of game that fundamentally changes how human beings interact. So I have friends whose children have gone off to college and they, you know, sure, they'd love to talk to them every day, but, you know, they don't want to be that kind of helicopter parent. But they know their kid's okay because their kid plays their turn. Mm -hmm. And they feel connected to their children every day because they play with their children. And I think at the core, that's what Zynga is about. And that's Zynga's legacy. Unlocking play. The company's mission was to connect the world through games. And what Mark Pincus saw was this gap that, you know, when you're a kid, you play with your kids, you sit on the ground, you're playing with them, and it's painful to leave and go to work. And then you get a bit older and you become kind of the the cop. You know, Mm -hmm. you're in charge of saying no and protecting and all this other stuff. And then they get older and they want to play with their friends. Yeah. What we brought back with Zynga and games like Farmville 2 is the ability for people to play with e- play games with each other in a lightweight way. Just touching on some of those games and, and exactly what you said there, how did you think about launching a game? Is it similar to launching a product in the market? Do you have a very clear customer segment or a persona in mind when you launch a game? Or is it more for yourself? Are you creating games for, for yourself as a dad and trying to connect with the kids? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a dad. Um, in terms of our process, uh, for creating games, you know, we basically looked at what was happening in the market, mm-hmm. and you know, at the at the time, you know, Zynga was at the beginning of social games, mm-hmm. and so there were games like uh, Sims, The Sims, that had worked really well yeah. in in the PC market, and we thought, okay, how can we make that game so simple that you could play it with one hand while talking on the phone? Yeah, right. And so, you know, that was kind of the basis. How can we make a casual, lightweight game mm-hmm. that maximizes social? that is all about people playing with each other and collaborating and interacting, yep. and that is simple enough that you don't need to have a calculator, you don't need to have a full keyboard that you could just point and click and play. Yeah, giving a bit of background as to your role at Zynga, um, how did you get into Zynga, and then also into Y Combinator and now, now this role at um, Google Accelerator? Sure, um, you know, I've been, been beating around Silicon Valley for about 17, 18 years now, and uh, after the dot-com bust, dot-com one, uh, a lot of people left town. Mm-hmm. But those of us that stayed formed a, a pretty tight community. Mm-hmm. And we helped each other out whenever we could. And so I knew Mark Pincus, and he uh, reached out and said, hey, could you come in and, and talk to us about taking payments? At the time, I had a payment startup as a founder right. of. Yeah. And I came in, and I started working with the team. I became a formal advisor. And I just loved it. I loved the mission. I loved the people I was working with. And I ended up joining full time. Mm-hmm. Initially, I ran everything that wasn't games, um, and built up those functions and hired new executives and things like that as we grew. And then we had a group of games that were still making money but weren't being operated uh, deliberately. 
you know, we had, you know, Mafia Wars, very big game. We had um, Vampire Wars is a big game. Pirate Wars is pretty big. But then there was Football Wars, Dope Wars. There was a car Special yeah, Forces game. Wars. There was yeah. lots of yeah. Wars games. Yeah. So I took kind of the long tail of them. Yeah. And with a great entrepreneur named Roger Dickey, we formed a, who went on to found a company called Gigster. Yeah. We created a little team and we did some interesting things with those games. I then moved over to the game ops side and I became the COO of the game studios for Zynga during the Farmville, Cityville kind of glory days of the company. Yep. Uh, eventually I left Zynga, as all good things come to an end, and I uh, did some travel. And I then went back to Zynga and did another tour of duty and I, it was really a, a tough year. We had to lay off a, a lot of employees and we had to streamline the operations. We brought on another CEO. And after that, um, traveled around as I do and I mentor when I travel. I meet with uh, startup founders, the women and men who are changing the world in different parts of the world. Yeah. And I give out advice and I try and be of service. Mm-hmm. Um, y Combinator has a part-time partner program and I went and participated in that and I got to mentor in that excellent program. Yeah. Uh, then I went traveling again, and now uh, when I head home in January from Australia, I'm going to do some work with Google. Yeah. Your role as a COO versus a CEO, um, how, did that, how did that work? What did Mark do, and what did you do? Sure. I mean, Mark is an, is an amazing talent, and an incredible uh, intellect to get to work with. And I am an execution machine. I'm, yeah. I'm, my purpose is to, is to make it happen. Mm-hmm. I'm gasoline on the fire. Yeah, get and shit so done. That was, that's exactly right. So yeah. I was Mark's get shit done guy. Yeah. And you know, operating functions in the day to day was not really his thing. Mm-hmm. He was the big, he's the big thinker, the strategist, uh, incredible sense of what works and doesn't work in social. And I was the get shit done guy. Yeah, right. And just just on those two types of personalities, do you think they're unicorn type people? So there's only a number of Mark Pincuses, or do you think there's an infinite number of them? And equally, in terms of people who get things done, your skill set is that is that a unicorn kind of capability? You know, this the the word kind of unicorn gets bandied around a lot, and yeah. you know, typically it's used to describe a company that has a billion dollar valuation. Yeah. In Zynga's case, I I believe we were the fastest company to actually reach a billion in revenue right. in the history of Silicon Valley, and I think that still stands. Yeah, you know, I don't think that there are a lot of Mark Pincuses in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's made of pretty special clay, but that shouldn't stop anyone else from really going for it. Yeah, you know, if you want to live, if you want to be a unicorn, if you want to live a unicorn life, you want to have an, a life of of magic or of, of outsized results or atypical results, then my advice to you is to only work on things that you really care about. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can spend your life working on things you care about with great passion, with people you respect and admire, yeah. then you're living a unicorn life. Yeah. When you stop having your life be about what happens to you and you setting a course and pursuing it, you're living a unicorn life. It may not always go your way, but you're still living a unicorn life. The non-unicorns, the regular horses, are sitting under a fluorescent light working for someone they don't respect in a job they don't understand on a mission that doesn't mean anything to them personally. Yeah, not a great place to be. It's, it's okay. There's plenty of people in <laughs> yeah. the world. 
Um, with with your experience at Zynga uh, and also what you've seen at different companies, what do you think are the learnings that you've had that are most transferable to anyone starting a business today? Yeah, you know, I, it, it's interesting. I get I get asked that frequently, mm-hmm. and I think that my best advice comes to people who have sort of found product market fit and are trying to figure out how to grow this thing. Again, you know, gasoline on the fire. Yeah. Um, in terms of finding your way through the woods, you know, there's this painful period as an entrepreneur when you've got an idea, but it you don't, you haven't quite hit it exactly right so that everyone wants to go and buy it. And I don't know that I'm the best person to get you through that spot, but what I would tell you is you need to ask yourself this question. Is my product vitamins or is it medicine? Mm-hmm. So I, I use this analogy a lot and, and I, a blogger wrote a piece once called Vitamins or Painkillers and I think I changed it to medicine, but um, <laughs> whoever, whoever she or he is, uh, thank you yeah. <laughs> uh, for, the, uh, for the great metaphor. Yeah. Vitamins we don't need. Mm-hmm. They're the first thing to go. Like if you're, if you're on a budget, you know, you're like, addicts don't need these vitamins. Mm-hmm. You don't stop taking your medicine. So if your product is something that's only going to grow your customer's revenue by 3 or 4%, mm-hmm. uh, they're not going to sign up. Yeah. You know, they're not going to put in engineering time to implement your solution. You're not going to be a game changer for them. Yeah. And if you're something that's just going to cut their expenses by 3 or 4%, again, how much are they going to pay you for that? And you're going to have to be proving to them every day that you're delivering value. Yeah, yeah. And we get tempted to start these, these vitamin companies sometimes because there is money to be made. Mm-hmm. But it's not the kind of company that it's going to be easy to raise money for. Yeah. So if your aim is to build a big company that has, hires 100 people or more, then look to make a product that's medicine, not yeah. vitamins. You can also have vitamin companies. Mm-hmm. I have friends who have great Shopify plugin uh, solutions that they sell, like features that Shopify hasn't created on their platform, but people want, and they make a great living. Yeah. But it's not a venture business. Yeah. Let's say you've found your medicine. What do you find are the most common issues that businesses have in trying to accelerate or, or scale quickly? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is something to be said for doing things manually in the beginning. Um, but you have to look at where you're spending a lot of time and make sure that you're getting the value back in return. Yeah. So I see a lot of companies build the wrong features because they don't have a, a disciplined process around road mapping. I see people spend money poorly mm-hmm. on sales and PR efforts because they don't think critically about where the money is going. Yeah. So for instance, at Zynga, we had a road mapping process and every feature that we built was designed to move a metric. Yeah. And for us, it was reach, the number of users, uh, retention or engagement, you know, how long yeah. do they stick around or how often do they log in, and revenue. Yeah. Reach, retention, revenue. Yeah. And so that, everything we built was for that purpose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we would throw all the ideas we had up in the world and we would bucket them and then rank them. I don't see a lot of companies do that in the early days. They just sort of build random stuff. It's not tied to anything. And it's it's hard because you don't have users yet, but you have to have a hypothesis. Why am I building this? What's its impact going to be? In terms of PR, you know, 
you really have to remember that your PR PR dollars all go into three buckets. Uh, mm. You know, uh, Danny Dudek, who's the the head of corporate communications at Zynga, told told me this once. She said, "All PR money, it's." Uh, Wall Street, Main Street, or 8th Street. 8th Street was where our offices are. Okay, (laughs) Wall Street is the investor community. PR that helps you get investment, like you know, winning um, an award at StartCon or Mm -hmm. getting into StartMates or Blue Chili. Like these are, you get some press around that, and that could could be good for investment dollars. Do you spend money on PR to tell that story? Mm -hmm. Yes or no? It has to deliver value. Main Street PR is customers. Mm-hmm. Is this PR going to reach potential customers? Right? And um, 8th Street is, is it going to help me recruit people? Yeah. yeah. So if I spend a dollar in PR, I want $10 back mm-hmm. in value in those categories. Yeah. Or it wasn't worth doing. Yeah. So getting clarity on that um, forward direction, then also breaking down different component parts of the operations um, uh, to, to prioritize. Um, so you've been in Australia now for a week. Um, what are your impressions of the, the startup scene here? I've been very impressed with the startup scene in Australia, and I've been to, I think I'm, I'm at 16 or 17 startup hubs around the world at this point that I've visited. Cool. The quality of the ideas is very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the talent is committed. Mm-hmm. The government is doing some impressive things to, to spur mm-hmm. the innovation and creation of companies. There are some things I think that could be improved for entrepreneurs here. I am by no means an expert um, on the ins and outs of the operating um, system here for entrepreneurs or taxation and things. I'm impressed with the treatment that they're giving to investors, um, the, the, the tax breaks around investing into these new starts. I've heard I don't know all the details, but I've heard some distressing stories about entrepreneurs having to pledge their homes, oh, you know, yeah. for and that sort of thing. Um, that's really hard. I don't know. I don't know how if that person just doesn't. If those people just don't know what they're doing or, yeah. or what. But if that's true, that's tough. Yeah, pledging your home for a vitamin versus medicine might be. Yeah, might be. A, yeah, a bad don't, thing don't, to do. don't 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 do that. that. And then and you know the other thing is, and this is really concerning is this tall poppy stuff. Yeah. You know, you guys got to knock that off. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be there for each other. You have to, you're not a big enough community to be fractured like that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have the opportunity to help somebody else out, you help them out. Yeah. There's enough room for all of you to succeed. Mm-hmm. This is a big world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The world is big enough that every single startup in Australia could succeed and it would be just fine. Yeah. So you should help each other and you should be there for each other. The question on investing, um, perhaps just specifically on your own investment philosophy, but then um, one on maybe investing in Australia. Um, what do you look for in a company? You know, I, you know, again, and, and you know, I, I, I keep saying it, and I feel bad for people, your listeners. I am, I'm, about, I'm gasoline on the fire, so I'm looking for something that already has fifty thousand dollars a month or more in recurring revenue, yeah. because then that's something that I can grow. That's something where we can get on a call and I can say, okay, let's spin up a sales call center, you know, and there's a bunch of things that I know how to do, you know, mm-hmm. that I can put to use. Yeah. 
So if you're earlier than that, then you're still wandering around the woods, and it's it's just too early for me to get involved. Yeah. Okay. So I'm looking for real traction. Yep. Or evidence of real traction. Yep. And if you were to invest in a company in Australia, what do you think that would look like? You know, for me, again, it's starting with that revenue yeah. baseline, yeah. and then I'd have to have some chemistry with the founders, and I would have to really know something about what it is that they're selling. Yeah. My engagement with my portfolio companies is bi-weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I put them on a pretty intense um, goal-setting regimen and, and things like that, yeah. and I have to feel a real connection because, frankly, you know, 16-hour time difference is a lot to deal with. Yeah. I have one portfolio company that's in India, mm-hmm. and, and scheduling calls and things is, is very difficult. Yeah. Do you think there's an ideal type of startup in Australia? Do you think there's an industry? Do you think there's a, a particular problem that Australian startups seem to be solving really well, better than others? I haven't been here long enough to assess yeah. that, but it seems like um, I've met some pretty compelling fintech startups. It seems like SaaS is taking off here, yeah. and that's pretty good. Consumer is harder right now. You know, I think it's never been easier to launch a consumer product than it is now. Yeah. And it's also never been more difficult to stand out. Yeah. You know, there's half a million new apps a year, 40 million in existence. Yeah. Like, think about how many things you've had on your phone and deleted. Yeah. Or even on that are on two or three pages down on my phone, I'd never touch. So. Exactly. I mean, I think I have like a, I have a folder <laughs> that's just travel apps. Yeah. It's got like, you know, 15 different apps in it across three pages in a folder. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. Um, so obviously seeing a number of different startup hubs, what do you think is comparable to Australia and perhaps where do you think Australia should have an aspiration towards or do you think there's something that another hub that Australia should be thinking about? I mean, I think that I think that Israel is the gold standard yeah. right now. And, you know, we're starting to see more and more exits out of Israel and people think that that's just magic, but that's not magic. That's That's... 15 years of investment right I mean that's that's a concerted effort on the part of that country at every level from the from the universities all the way through yeah and I think that Australia could could do the same Mm -hmm. Um, it's just going to take time and investment and patience yeah thinking about Australia perhaps in Asia Pacific what role do you see it playing as a startup hub or yeah you know um the the size of the markets in Asia are 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 certainly impressive. I don't know enough about about the, the kind of cultural interplay between Australia and these other countries yeah. to know what's what. What I do know is that if Australia decides that they're going to be a tech hub or the tech hub of this region and it's a ten plus year commitment and they decide at every level that that's what they're gonna be about, then that means um, investment in computer science programs. It means incentives for companies to hire computer science interns. And, I mean, it means a lot of things. Yeah. And if they, the day that that happens and they're all in, then that's, that starts the clock on, on 10 years yeah. investment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it'll pay off for sure. Yeah. Yep. So that concerted investment at all levels, all levels of government. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, India's, I mean, India's got a billion people. So, you know, they're going to have a lot of great engineers out of a billion, but they have a disproportionately large um, number of great engineers in India. Yep. And, and it's the, the government invested in computer science. Yeah. Yep. And, and there's a lot of industry there. Yeah. 
a lot of our listeners are actually in corporate, um, either have a startup on the side, so a side hustle, or potentially looking for a, for a leap into a startup. Do you have any advice for people who are in a corporate job? And my, I mean, my advice to you is to follow your passion and know that the corporate job is waiting for you. If you go and take a run at your startup and it doesn't work out, the corporate world will take you back. Mm. I mean, maybe don't, you know, maybe don't quit your job and run in and tell your boss to <laughs> suck it and, <laughs> and throw two birds on the way out, but yeah. just basically be honest and say, I want to innovate. Yeah. The other thing I'd say is the desire to innovate, the desire to entrepreneur, People think that the only way they can have that feeling of entrepreneuring is by risking it all and going out and creating a startup. But what I found in my career at Zynga was that I was able to continue to be a startup guy within a 3,000 person company. And what I realized was that you can entrepreneur your career within a large company. You can go after big initiatives. You can propose big initiatives. People are afraid to. But as anyone who's ever managed people will tell you, it's a dream when someone comes in and says, hey, listen, um, I've been running this function for a while and, I've, and I'm ready to take on something new. Here's three ideas that I have that could be transformative for the company. Mm-hmm. That's a gift, okay? Because even if I don't like their ideas, I got a couple things I'd like to put someone with some hustle on. And I'd love it if that, that day when, you know, when she shows up and says, hey, I'm ready to go take this on. You know, I, that's an athlete. And I want to make sure that she's challenged. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to wait. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find people within your corporations, within your big uh, teams that have an unreasonable love for what they do. And if you can find and harness the people that have an unreasonable love for what they do, then you can electrify your company. Yeah. And it doesn't matter the size of the company. I had people that worked for me in accounts payable that had unreasonable love for what they do. So find them and make sure that they're challenged and that they love their work. Yeah. The unreasonable love. Don't quit your day job, basically. We've got a quick fire round to go into. So a couple of questions that we ask everyone who's on the podcast. Oh, boy. So firstly, what is your most hated startup cliche piece of advice being given? Most hated advice that I've been given? I would say... I, I think that the people take too long to make decisions. I'm trying to think of what the specific advice I was given. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that people take too long to make decisions. That you didn't get where you are by making bad decisions. That most of the choices we're making, either of them are up and to the right. Yeah. Like in either way, you're going to be fine. The only time that's not true is when somebody says, you know, hey, do you want to try heroin? You know, like heroin would be a bad decision. Not, not up and to the right. You know, no. choosing, <laughs> choosing this job or that job. Yeah. You know, so I think pick one. Don't overly deliberate. Yeah. I think people, smart people agonize between two right decisions. And I, I have a bias towards action. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you could change one thing about what you've done, either at Zynga or with, with your other companies, what would it be? I think at Zynga we grew too quickly and I would have, I would have slowed it down. We grew from, we grew to 3,000 employees and then back down to 1,500 right. and we sort of thought the growth would last forever mm-hmm. and I think we got a little ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So if I could go back in the Wayback Machine, mm-hmm. I, I would have done that differently. How would you manage that? How would you manage that differently? Like how do you manage scale and growth 
that. Yeah. That I mean, I think you have to take time out. So we're all in the, we're all in the sort of thick of it. And we're, you know, when you're running a 24 uh, seven, always on game service, and you have, you know, 300 million monthly active users, it's hard to find time to just get the core team and step away and, you know, go in the wilderness and have an offsite. Yeah, right. But I would raise these questions. Yeah. I would say, hey guys, are we growing too fast? Just because we can doesn't mean we should. Yeah. You know? What's the best piece of practical advice that you've ever been given? I, I'm gonna go back to this, uh, this blogger who wrote the <laughs> painkillers yeah. uh, pain versus medicine thing, you know, vitamins, not medicine, yeah. painkillers um, and medicine. I think that's really great advice. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and so I'm I'm ba- I'm I'm copying to it. I'm echoing someone else's advice. Yep. What are the top three sources of information that you regularly go to, um, either to inspire you or uh, to help you think about new businesses? You know, um, practically speaking, everybody who is out there in startup land, you guys should be using Crunchbase. You know, one of the big mistakes I I hear a lot. You know, like I don't know. I've talked to twenty VCs and. None of them have funded me, and I and I, I say, you know, did those VCs that you speak to ever fund anything in the space that you're in? Like, why are you pitching your video game startup to someone who only invests in health tech? Yeah. You know, so that's just so basic. Yep. But I think using, um, you know, Crunchbase and TechCrunch and understanding what's happening in your particular vertical. Next, I'd say, if I'm a startup person, I would ingest everything that YC has put out. You know, it was a great pleasure to be involved in that organization. It's really like Hogwarts for entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. And they are very generous in what they put out. There's a lot of content there. Yeah. Um, I'd become an expert in that. I would also um, take a look at, uh, I like Brad Feld's blogs. I like Nabil Hyatt's blogs from Spark Capital. Yeah. Brad Feld uh, started Techstars yeah. and was a board member at Zynga. There's a lot of great content out there. You know, we're not gonna take time out to go to school to get a, a master's in entrepreneurship and then do a startup. Yeah. Um, so you're gonna have to really ingest this content as you go yeah. and become a student. It'll increase your odds of success. Do you listen to podcasts? Do you have a favorite one? You know, um, Two Tribes, obviously. Two Tribes, yeah. <laughs> two Tribes is definitely a favorite. I've been listening to a, I've been listening to just some kind of meditation stuff okay, lately. Yeah, cool. So, um, but you know, I'm I've got more time right now than any of, <laughs> any of your listeners. Got it. Um, last one. So, most unexpected source of inspiration for you? I told this story um, at the StartCon conference, and uh, when I you know when I work on startups, usually it turns out like every five years or so, everything kind of blows up. You know, I was at eMusic and we went public and then the stock went down and then we got acquired and then I was had some time and I traveled. And mm-hmm. each time I go and I travel and then something happens and I have an experience that, that changes me um, and inspires me. Yeah. And, and I had one of these experiences after eMusic. I, I went into, I went out into the, into the Sahara Desert on a camels wow. with, a, with a buddy of mine. We yeah. went to Morocco. And, uh, and, and my, my buddy is on one camel. I'm on a camel that's got a big ring in its nose, which means it means, it means that camel's a jerk. I'm gonna keep it clean for the podcast. There's a word that starts with A and ends in whole, and that's what this camel was. And so uh, the camel's like going, ah, and it's trying to bite me and everything. And, and so I'm on a camel, Pat's on a camel, 
and uh, this guy who's leading us, his name is Hussein, and he's walking alongside us and his son, I don't remember the son's name. And we're going out and it's beautiful, man. I mean, it's just sand dunes. It's Tatooine from Star Wars, you know? Yeah. And it's just so cool. And my camel's trying to bite me, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> we're going up and over these big sand dunes. Right, up and over, up and over. Great. We get to this one sand dune. And my buddy Pat's camel goes right at the sand dune. And mine will not go. Won't go. Stops. And I'm trying to get it to go, and I'm, I'm doing what you do when you ride a horse. I'm saying, you know, yeah, you know, and yeah. kind of gently nudging it, and it, it won't go. And it doesn't care what I have to say. And, uh, and Hussein is waving his hands and telling me to kick it harder, and I don't know. I'm, not, I'm just not that into kicking. I'm not a camel kicker. <laughs> My buddy's yelling at me that I'm a terrible camel rider. And um, the man... Then Hussein grabs the the rope of the camel and he and he tugs the the rope and the the camel leans forward and it bites him in the ear so hard that blood comes out and the guy jumps back you know and I'm like okay I'm gonna, just going to get off the camel you know and, I, and he's like yelling at me not to get off the camel and he takes his walking stick and he starts to beat the camel and this is getting awkward now okay like I just you know I didn't sign just up for this I just, camel, I just, I just get off this thing like I'll just walk up the sand dune we'll go around the sand dune like I don't and Pat is yelling at me and the little boy is tugging at his dad's sleeve and the, he's pushing his son away you know finally Hussein's just tired of beating the camel and he's staring staring up at the sky and he's I don't know what he's doing I don't know if he's you know praying to Allah or cursing Allah or, you know, maybe he's a, maybe he's a Presbyterian. I mean, he's like, you know, I don't know. Um, he speaks Berber. The little boy comes over and he takes the rope, the lead rope from my camel and he turns the camel around. So the camel is not looking at the sand anymore. And then he gets down on all fours and he crawls all the way up and all the way down the sand dune, all the way up and all the way down looking at this this is crazy he's covered with sand it's in his eyebrows it's in his eyelashes it looks like painful how much sand he's got on him and he comes back around and he takes the rope of the camel and he turns it around and the camel just goes right up the sand dune like it's nothing i don't know if the camel just looks at it and says you know what a million camels have been up this path it's fine i don't know what happens to the camel's mind i don't speak camel (laughs) certainly not this camel (laughs) but in that moment i had a great lesson for life in that moment, I realized that in life there are these moments, these moments of challenge, and that we're all playing a role. You know, in our lives, we can be the camel. I've been the camel. Mm-hmm. I've been stuck for no reason. I don't know why I'm stuck, but I'm stuck. And all I know is that I'm not moving. Mm-hmm. I've been the man. I've been trying the same things over and over again to, uh, and expecting a different result. Mm-hmm. And I've been the boy who's the solution finder. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so in that moment, I found great inspiration, and I've taken that lesson with me in operations, in relationships of all kinds, and that was the most inspiring, uh, one of the most inspiring moments I've had. Wow. So the next time you're up against the wall, just figure out, you know, who am I right now? Mm-hmm. You know, who am I? And and be the boy. You know, be the boy. Marcus, thank you very much for your time. Oh, Appreciate my pleasure. It. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you.